Amen. Good stuff. Sometimes you can surprise yourself. You know, you think, wow, half an hour, that's a long time to pray. An hour, that's a long time to pray. But it's really true what Sue said. You get in here and there's the, the prayer cards. And the next thing you know, you've just come in and all of a sudden you hear the doors back there. The next person is coming in. It's like, whoa, was that an hour? And, and you get through it so quickly. The other thing I want to exhort you in is to fill out the prayer cards. I know that every one of you has prayer need. Something's going on in your life. It may be profound, it may be deep, it may be hard, or it just may be that your dog is barking too much. <laughs> but, but prayer changes things. Prayer impacts our world. And we, we need to exercise that faith. We need to write out on that card what's going on in our life. What is filling our mind with worry or anxiety? You know, Paul said to the Philippians, he said, don't be anxious about anything. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And God will fill your minds with his peace. He'll fill your hearts with his peace. So it's a great promise. It's a great promise. So I'm going to be harping on this for the next few weeks. So if you're not filling out the cards, watch out. Okay, we are in Romans chapter 6 this morning. We're dealing this morning with the issue of sin and sanctification. Sanctification, of course, of the believer. That is what happens to our lives when we're born again. What do they look like? You know, we've been talking about justification by faith. Paul has made the case that we're all sinners, that our salvation comes not by what we do, but by in whom we believe and what he has done. And so justification, that standing, that right standing with God that we have comes by faith, by belief in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. And of course, the whole reason he came to save us was the fact that we had fallen into sin. Our father, Adam, ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was not supposed to do that. Eve ate first, Adam ate second, but both of them sinned and both of them brought death into the human family because of sin. So there's this issue of sin that is constantly before us as human beings. We look around in our world, and it, you don't have to look very far to see the impact of sin. All of us die. The wages of sin is death. Death is a result of sin. So, then what about us who have believed in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in Him, and we have been moved from life, or really death, in Adam, into Christ? We've been baptized into Christ. What is, is our life like then with regard to sin? Well, that's what we're going to talk about uh, here this morning and actually for the next few weeks. Chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 in Romans, all of them address this topic. And the issue of the law and grace and how do we interact with either of those as Christians born again of the Spirit so there's a lot of questions we have. There's a lot of answers in here. And of course, as always, 
the, the answer to every question is what? Jesus. Thank you. Good job. Okay, so let's start reading. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Now, that harkens back to what he had said in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through, our, through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Paul is saying, so, if grace superabounds, in other words, where sin increased, grace increases all the more, isn't it logical then that we should sin so that grace could just continue to pour out upon us? Paul says, by no means. That's not the right way to think. But it's not a new way to think. It's an old way to think. Back into the Old Testament, there are several, several illustrations of this. One of them is in Malachi, where, I think it's Malachi 2.17, where it says that the Jews are wearying God. And the of course, Malachi, if you've read that book, sort of has a conversation back and forth between God and the people. And the people answer and say, well, how have we wearied you? And God responds to them. He says, because you say, when we do evil, it is good. So it's an old concept. Uh, Peter, in his second epistle, talks about this also. Let's see, Peter comes after First Peter. First Peter chapter 2. They would have these things called love feasts where they would gather together, spend the day together, uh, share a meal, teach from the Word, take communion together. And Peter says that there are people that were coming into their love feasts that were propagating a doctrine. And it was the doctrine, essentially, that Paul is trying to, to do away with here. Peter says, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, in other words, sin, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So that's the concept that Paul is fighting against here, arguing against, that notion that if we sin more, God's grace abounds more, and that that's somehow a good thing. Paul says, by no means. We are not to continue in sin once we have been saved from sin. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, there's going to be three words that we, that we review in the passage of Scripture with the first 14 verses that we go through here. The first word that we're going to look at is know. The things that we know in our mind, that we understand to be true. The second word is count or reckon. And that's, I think, in verse 12. No, it's verse 11. 
And then the third word is to present or offer. So we'll start here in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, when we're talking about the term baptism, we're talking about immersion. It has nothing to do with getting into a bucket of water and going down. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. In a moment, but that's not what this baptism is talking about. The baptism that is being spoken of here is the baptism into the body of Christ. Just like we talked about last week, when we are born of our mothers, we are born into a sinful race. We are born into Adam. And in Adam, we are all sinners. But when we're born again of the Spirit, we move from this position in Adam. And we are immersed into, baptized into, the body of Christ. We have a new position, a new relationship with God. We are in Christ. In the book of Ephesians, 56 times, Paul references the reality that as Christians, we are in Christ. And as people who are in Christ, we possess everything that Christ possesses. That's important to remember. In Christ, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 3, we possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, we have been baptized into his death. Jesus died upon the cross. He was crucified for our sin. God laid upon him the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, every sin I've ever committed, every sin I ever will commit. And I'll commit a few yet, I'm sure. God laid them upon Jesus on the cross. And Jesus was crucified. He experienced death on our behalf. Though he knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf and experienced death for us. And we have been baptized into his death. And also, not only were we baptized into his death, but we were baptized into his burial there in the, the garden tomb. It says in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus then was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So this is section is speaking of our united uh, relationship with Christ. The fact that we are united with him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Those are all things that he experienced. History tells us that Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was born, or excuse me, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again on the third day. All of that we are partakers of by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is making the point that we need to know this. We need to know that we are in Christ, and we have experienced those things in Christ. Now, when we come up here and we get baptized and speaking of that, we're going to do a baptism the Sunday after Easter. So anybody who's not been baptized but is interested, come and talk to me. What happens there is an outward representation, a communication to the community of people around us that I am baptized into Christ. This is an outward representation of a spiritual reality that has occurred. And we are communicating that to those around us. To our friends, our neighbors, believers and unbelievers alike. So we need to know that we have been united with him. 
Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So, some things happen here. There on the cross, when Jesus was crucified, our old self was crucified with him. That part of Greg Meyer that was in Adam over here was crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Same with each one of you. There was a whole crowd of us over here. We were all crucified with Christ. And when we were crucified with Christ, look what, look what happens. That body that was ruled by sin, this flesh, this sin nature that this flesh possesses, Paul says, we need to know this, has been done away with. It was nailed to the cross. And as a result, we don't need to be slaves to sin any longer. We are not dominated by the condition of sin. That sin nature, that it does exist in each one of us, we don't have to be controlled by it. Our lives do not have to be led by the hook of sin into destruction. We are no longer slaves to sin because we have died to sin with Christ. And as a result, we have been set free from it. Likewise, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because remember, he didn't just die on the cross. They took him off the cross, right? Took him to Nicodemus. Or, yeah, was it Nicodemus? No, who was it? Who's the tomb? I forgot. Okay, thank you. Took him to the tomb. And he rose again on the third day. So likewise, we have identified with his resurrection. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. His resurrection from the dead proved that he had authority over death. So he's not going to die again. Unlike Lazarus, who was resurrected from the dead there in John chapter 11. Remember, Jesus called forth Lazarus from the tomb, and Lazarus came out dressed in grave clothes. Jesus said, take those grave clothes off of him. And Lazarus began to live again. But Lazarus would once again die. Jesus, unlike Lazarus, would not die again. Death no longer had mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, we in Christ over here have died with him, been buried with him, and resurrected with him. We need to know this. this and I, I keep repeating the no because sometimes we forget that, that we are identified with Christ and, and we share in all of these experiences. So now he died the death to sin once for all, but he lives a life unto God that is continuing. That death on Calvary happened 2,000 years ago. He's not repeating that. It happened once. But the life he lives to God, the intercession that he accomplishes on our behalf, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that goes on and on and on and on and on until the world ends. So this life he lives, the life that you and I possess is unique. It's resurrection life. It's empowered life. 
It's a life that has mastery over sin and over death. We have been filled with His Holy Spirit. We have been made new creatures in Christ. All of the old things have passed away. Now sometimes the enemy of our souls wants us to think about all of those old things that have happened in the past. And and we sort of stay tethered to them and fettered by them. And we can't move forward because of that stuff in our past. We just keep thinking about it. Like the dog that returns to its vomit. And some of us have given in to the sin nature as Christians. We've returned, as Peter said, like the sow, to wallow in the mire. And it's not a good thing. We have been resurrected through Jesus Christ, through identification through Him, with Him. The life He lives, He lives to God. So we need to know that. We need to understand, church, that we are in Christ and that we possess this resurrection life every day, every week, every month, every year that we live. We have resurrection life. Paul told the Philippians that he wanted to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. But ultimately, the goal, Paul said there in Philippians chapter 3, was to know the power of his resurrection. The power of a new life. So as relates to sin in our life, it's been dealt with. We are justified. We are sanctified in Jesus Christ. Say amen. Amen. That's good stuff, church. And we need to know this. We need to know that we are justified, we are sanctified. And all of those accusations that the enemy throws our way, all of that old stuff in in the past, in Adam, that, that Satan tries to trip us up with, we can go to this and say, no, Satan, I know that my sin has been dealt with. I know that every sin I ever committed, every sin I ever will commit, has been dealt with at the cross. I am with Jesus. I have been crucified, I have been buried, and I have risen again with him. Scripture just popped into my mind from Galatians chapter 2. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what is being spoken of here. In the same way, verse 11. Here's the second word. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, everything I talked about, about moving from Adam to Christ, is true. It's happened. It's a spiritual fact and reality. But you say to me, Greg, that's not my experience. I struggle with sin. I have this besetting sin or perhaps besetting sins that just continue to trip me up and knock me out. I, I want to, to do the right thing, but I can't seem to get there. A couple of weeks, Chris is going to be talking about that in Romans chapter 7. So I want to steal his thunder. But 
we all struggle with that, don't we? It's like, okay, I, I get that. I know that, but that's not my experience. What's happening to me? How come I can't walk the way I want to walk? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts about that. First, there in verse 11, it says that we are to count ourselves or reckon ourselves dead to sin. So that, that's an accounting term there. And it's essentially like looking at a ledger and understanding something about the ledger and say, okay, based upon this information that I am looking at, this is how I'm going to move forward. So Paul says we are to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So when I woke up this morning, what I do, and, and, and this works really pretty good, what I do when I wake up in the morning is I say, Lord, I'm putting off the old man. That old man that I know was crucified with you, I am putting him off. And as I move through the day, Lord, I want to renew myself in my mind. I want to think differently, Lord. Help me to think differently. Romans chapter 12 says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. So in <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about this, and, and it's really powerful. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you then have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. So this is what I'm talking about. I wake up in the morning. I put off the old man. I, I count him as dead. And I ask God for strength to renew my mind. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, <coughs> evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but you must now rid yourselves of such things as anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on your new self. When, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, Jesus said, take off the grave clothes. And that's what we need to do every morning, church. We need to take off the grave clothes of our old man because Jesus said, that's not what I want you to wear. I've got a new robe of righteousness to wrap you in. So put on that new man and don't do these things. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. <clears throat> so it's, it's a daily practice. It's a daily practice for us to encounter sin because here's, here's the thing. While we are in these bodies of flesh, we're going to struggle with the sin nature. We are going to have challenges uh, that confront us. In 1 John chapter 3, though, John paints a picture that each one of us should, should consider. 
Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, that is in Christ, there is no sin. So for us, in Christ, there is no sin. Now, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And here's the picture. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So the the picture John is painting is one where we have been baptized into Christ, and because we are in Christ, there can be no sin. And in these bodies of flesh, we are on a path towards a more righteous, a more sanctified, a more holy pattern of life. And it's grace. It is grace that sanctifies us. It's not legalism. It's not a set of rules that keeps us on this path. Nor is it the, the, the uh, opposite side of the, this spectrum that says we can do whatever we want to. We do not continue in sin. What it's about, and I'll conclude with this, is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a living relationship with your Savior. The writer to Hebrews says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him despised the shame, endured the suffering of the cross. So for us, we need to move into a living relationship with God. About 31 years ago, I took some vows with my beautiful wife. I told her that I would forsake all others and, and hold myself faithful only to her. It's not the vows that I think about every day. It's looking into her eyes and knowing how much she loves me and how much I love her. Sorry, I didn't mean to do this. It's the same thing with Jesus. When we fix our eyes on him and we realize how much he loves us, it's not a vow that we're going to do better. It's not a vow that we're going to uh, somehow live a more holy life. It's a living relationship with him that says, I don't want to sin. I don't want to go that direction. I want to be with you. That's sanctification. That's the process, how we overcome the sin that can beset us. It's looking into the eyes of Jesus. I'm going a little bit long here. Actually, there's a, I've got a few more things to say, but I'm going to finish right there, and I will cover it next week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the goodness that you've shown to us. And I thank you for the living relationship that we have with you because of your Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. 
And so, Lord, I just pray for each and every person in this fellowship this morning, every person hearing my voice, every person who is struggling as a believer with some kind of sin. Help them to know that they have identified with you and been united with you in death, burial, and resurrection. And help them, Lord, to count or to reckon themselves dead to sin, but alive to you. And to move into that living relationship where they see your face daily and put on the new man wherein is life and abundant life. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we will conclude with hymn number 367. He touched me. and testimony. One, of the, one aspect of our salvation, it says in Romans chapter 10, is our testimony or our confession of what he has done for us, and that's why we do this. It's, it's an opportunity for us to share the good things that he's done, how he's continually saving us, how he has blessed us, and also our need 
to acknowledge our need before him and to, to raise up prayer requests uh, to him. And I'm just going to start off. I'm going to give a praise uh, for something that happened, I guess, would have been Friday night. Our daughter called us Friday night. Uh, she lives in San Diego, and she was quite shaken up. Uh, she had been narrowly averted death. Uh, a drunk driver came driving down the street um, where she lives. It's a quiet little neighborhood, and he was driving, I guess, 50-plus miles an hour. Literally missed her by a couple of feet from hitting her. Um, there's a lot more to the story, but I just give thanks to God for protecting her. She she said to us on the phone that night, she said, Mom, Dad, I know an angel was holding on to me. <laughs> so I believe it. So anyway, thank you, Jesus. Others, I'm getting all emotional this morning. <laughs> Brett. Paul had the hip replacement. We'll be praying for Brett's Uncle Paul. Okay. Kelly. Okay, 2 o'clock at the Osmonds for snowshoers. Joanne. Dennis has been over at uh, the Anschutz Cancer Center in Denver being treated, so it sounds like they're back and need a meal on Monday. Okay, very good. Oh, Kathy. Uh, I understand that Joseph didn't have any problems with his pelvic uh, surgery, so I'm wondering if he's... That's correct. Uh, Chris and I went to meet with John and Georgie, uh, and she is in her last last times. So keep her in prayer. And John also, John uh, is doing all right, but clearly could use your prayer. Anyone else? Prayer request, praise, testimony? Barry. Always a good thing to drive while you're awake. <laughs> Was someone else, or Tony, did you have? Oh, yes, Bonnie. Yeah, um, I want to ask a prayer for my daughter, Molly, who um, she's on her fourth round, just got to her fourth round of drug throw, and she's, and two weeks of flu. She can't throw for a month of flu. And she's just in the dumps. She was her daughter's in the dumps. She's just in the dumps. Yeah. So I just pray where he's going to be putting in key on his Tuesday and just his vow to move on. I'm grateful we live in a. 
Yes, Molly's been struggling with this for quite a while. And just pray for her and lift her up for healing. Anyone else? Want to give testimony or prayer? Okay. Sometimes it's hard to see in these bright lights. Okay. Heavenly Father, we do lift up these prayer requests to you, each one, and, and the praises uh, for your intervention, your, your grace upon us. Lord, we ask that you would meet every need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that you would heal, that you would touch, that you would protect, that you would guide, that you would guard. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia, sing alleluia, sing alleluia to the Lord. Go in peace.